glad you guys are here today. As, uh, as Nick was talking about earlier, we are wrapping up our series from uh, the book of 1 Peter, what we've entitled Living Hope. And uh, Nick reminded us of some of the things that Peter had talked to us about in this series. But I want to remind you, too, that Peter was speaking to persecuted believers. And he was reminding them that they were temporary citizens here on this earth. That even while they were living out in their their faith in Jesus, that they were going to experience trials. That they might even experience persecution. But that it would be worth it. Peter reminded his listeners that even during their hard and their lonely and their persecuted times, that they were called to love deeply, to exercise self-control, to show others the goodness of God. And he reminded them that they were supposed to submit to authority, to follow the example of Jesus, to be united as a, as a church, and in all of this, to cling tightly to that living hope. And these reminders and these callings were not just for the church then. They are for the church today. I hope that not only have you had the opportunity to follow along with us in this teaching series over the past few weeks, but that you've also been reading through 1 Peter on your own so that you could fully grasp Peter's care and his concern for those who he's writing to. And I hope that throughout this study, you've taken some time to just soak in the words of Peter so that you could see his heart as he was pouring out these impassioned pleas to these believers who very likely, due to their circumstances, could have been easily becoming discouraged. And I hope that as you have seen the plight of Peter's listeners, that you realize that because of their persecutions, that they could have easily drifted in their faith and they could have allowed their troubles and their trials to split them, to divide them. And I hope that you recognize that Peter is writing to encourage them and to assure them that what they are experiencing truly is part of God's grace for them, and that we all recognize that the things that we are enduring, the trials that we are experiencing, the doubts, the despairs, the discouragements that are part of our day-to-day or part of our moment-to-moment, that we recognize that that very same grace that Peter was talking about to his listeners, that same promise of that grace, that same promise of that living hope is for you and for me today as well. And I hope that as you have read uh, through Peter and listened about the teachings of Peter, that you have recognized that like a good shepherd caring for his sheep, that he is encouraging his listeners, but he's also encouraging each of us, stand firm in this grace. As I studied and prepared this uh, last chapter of the book of 1 Peter for the teaching this morning, there was lots of different things, uh, lots of different directions that we could have gone. And the task honestly seemed a little bit overwhelming, so I decided just to talk about animals this morning instead. Just kidding. Well, sort of. We're going to talk about animals, but you'll get the spiritual point. So I wonder, though, this morning, we'll take a little break from the scripture for a second. Have you ever been bitten by an animal? Now, I don't mean like, you know, puppies when they kind of nip at you, when you accidentally step on your dog's foot and it kind of snaps at you. I'm talking about really getting bit, like going for blood kind of got bit, right? Um, Raise your hands if you've ever been like really bit. Oh, yeah, good crowd, right? I, I get that. Now, see, when it comes to me, I've not had lots and lots of really good experiences or history with dogs. 
Back when we were in St. Louis, we had a dog. Its name was Thor. Um, I named it. My wife said it was aggressive because I named it Thor. Um, but in reality, this dog showed up on our porch one January. It was freezing cold. It was starving, emaciated. We brought it in. We nursed it back to health. We got its body back in shape, but poor Thor's mind never got back in shape. And after Thor bit the fourth person, we determined it was time for Thor to get a new owner. Now, when I was in third grade, I remember on my way home from school, I would live close to my elementary school. I was on my way home for lunch, and I walked by a fence, and a German shepherd jumped up over the fence and shot me in the shoulder, right? Still cannot laugh about that experience. But here's an experience of getting bit that I can laugh about. It wasn't very long here in Maryland. I went to a family's house. They're members here at the church. First time I'd ever been to their house. And they had one of those uh, yappy little ankle biter kind of dogs, And I was not at that house five minutes, and that dog bit me, chomped me right in the back of the leg. Welcome to Maryland. (laughs) Welcome to Fort Christian Church. Welcome to my house. Thank you very much. I will not name their names. (laughs) You might have a personal got bit story, right? I would love to hear it. Um, You might have laughed at somebody else's got bit story. Um, And whether it was an emu at the zoo or a deer at a state park or, you know, a pet rat who could not determine whether it was a finger going in the cage or a little carrot, you know, we've all probably experienced or know someone who's experienced that bite. But most of us, though, have never, ever been dangerously confronted or attacked by any kind of wild, ferocious animal that could likely not only kill us, but could eat us as well. But this morning, because I love you and I care about you, I want to give you some advice on how to keep from being devoured by a wild animal, or maybe just to save you from the teeth of a yappy ankle biter. So I give you these three statements. Stay alert. Watch out. Stand firm. See, these are great pieces of advice when it comes to saving our bodies from a world of hurt, whether it's a temporary brief discomfort, whether it's a lifelong scar, or whether it's complete dietary consumption, these words can be crucial to our physical health. Stay alert. Watch out. Stand firm. See, the truth is, these are not just great pieces of advice to save our bodies from a world of hurt. These are great words of advice to save believers, the church, the very body of Christ from experiencing a world of hurt. How so, you might ask? Well, thank you for asking. It is because we have a prowling enemy who wants to devour us. Listen to these words from 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. You know, the the church is oftentimes referred to as the body of Christ, the arms and legs and hand and feet with us submitting to Jesus, who is the head. And as for the believer, for, for the body, for the church, there is a real enemy that Peter tells us who not only stands against us, but he seeks to actively destroy us. 
Now, and just as we all know that the devil isn't some cartoonish figure with a tail and, you know, uh, pointy horns and a red onesie, right? Peter isn't painting for us this animated image of like a conflict between, you know, Simba and Scar in, in The Lion King or fun-loving Alex, the king of New York City from the Madagascar movies. I mean, he's not even painting for us this Christ-type figure of Aslan, you know, from the Chronicles of Narnia. Certainly Peter isn't talking about, hey, let's watch out for wild animals. He is talking and comparing this, this, this attack from Satan, from the enemy, from the devil. And he's, he's, he's equating it with all the danger and the cunning and the ferociousness of a lion, of a lion literally wanting to eat you. Peter was describing a show no mercy, take no prisoners, not even a doggy bag, right? It's an image about not just destroying a body, but about it being devoured. Peter is worried for his listeners. He's worried that Satan would be destroying the church and the believers in it. And the concern is that the suffering that they are experiencing might lead them to an opportunity for Satan to devour them, to eat them up. And I got to tell you, when I read Peter's writings as a pastor, um, as a shepherd, I understand his heart and it breaks my heart when I realize that Satan wants to destroy us. I think back to when Jesus spoke these words from Matthew chapter nine, one of my favorite passages of scripture. It says, Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of sickness and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Peter was there when those words were spoken. And John also records for us another moment where Peter, who after denying Christ three times before Jesus went to the cross, was met by Jesus, met by the resurrected Christ, and Jesus spoke these words into Peter's life. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. You see, this same Peter is now taking seriously the role of being a pastor, of being a shepherd, of being a leader, a protector. And in his letter, he now encourages leaders in the church to do the same. First Peter 5, starting in verse 1, he says, And now a word to you who are elders. Now, just to clarify here, elder is not talking about necessarily an old person, although it might be, but generally elders was a term used for pastors, for shepherds. Maybe in the church where you grew up, you were, it was called a bishop or a presbyter, right? But it's the idea of the leaders, those that are over others. He says, so in this church, he says, A word to you elders in the churches. I too am an elder. 
and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he's revealed to the whole world. And as a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Friends, just as Peter uh, was voicing his concern that Satan was trying to devour the church, I appeal to you as a pastor, as a shepherd, as a leader, stay alert, watch out, stand firm. And I say that not because there's something in it for me, but because we are all in it to serve Christ. You see, Satan will do whatever he can to devour us. Whatever it takes to destroy the church. And I gotta be honest, sometimes when I look around me, I I don't see big, huge attacks, but I see Satan just nibbling at us like one bite at a time. And whether it's from, from pressure from without or whether it's from differences from within, Sometimes it feels like we're under attack and it's just a subtle, slow eating away at us. So I have to ask the question, well, what is it that just destroys the church? What is it that divides us? I mean, is it the rejection by our family and our friends because we've placed our faith in Jesus? Is it being persecuted because we've repented of the sins that were associated with our old way of life? Is it because we are facing jail or death because we went public with our baptism, demonstrating that we are saved by accepting the finished work of Christ, the death, the burial, and resurrection? No, honestly not. That's not why the church is under attack. That's not why persecution takes place. That's not why division happens. And if it was, it would make sense. It would make sense to believers. It would make sense to non-believers as well. But the reality is we're divided because we can't agree. We can't agree on masks and vaccinations. We can't agree about when in-person ministry should open up in our churches. We're divided because we can't agree which countries our military should be present in. We're divided because we can't agree to love people who sin differently than we do. We are divided because we can't agree on who's allowed to move into our country. We're divided because we can't agree on what worship songs to sing. We're divided because we can't agree on who should sit in the Oval Office. I know, I just got real political there. But we're divided also because we can't agree on a sermon that was preached on a Sunday morning. Stay alert, Peter says. Watch out, Peter says. Stand firm, Peter says. Because Satan wants to have us for lunch. I know you have to be careful what you wish for. But there are times that I wish the church would face troubles that would totally rock our world, not just woefully jiggle our comfort. Sometimes I wish our troubles were so potentially devastating that they would cause us to lock arms in unity, that we would be forced to put our petty differences aside, that we would have no choice but to fall together on our knees and cry out in our brokenness and our dependence on our Heavenly Father. 
Because this little nibbling, this biting and devouring us one bite at a time, sometimes we barely recognize that Satan is even involved in it. Picking up in verse five, he says, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Peter in his writing is encouraging the elders to lead the flock in full recognition that they have been entrusted by God to care for them. True story, when I was interviewing for my position five and a half years ago here at Fork, I remember sitting in a room and, and it was all of the staff and at least one of the elders was present. And I remember right in the middle of this interview, one of the elders stops and he looks at one of the pastors and he addresses them by name. And right there in front of me and Barb and all the other staff, all the other pastors in front of God and everybody, this elder apologizes to this staff member because he had left him out of some important communication and decision-making in this whole interview process. And I knew at that moment that one of the strengths of this church was leadership that would lead in spite of their imperfections. And it was a beautiful thing. You know, I learned a long time ago in ministry that I should take what I do seriously, but I shouldn't take myself too seriously. You see, when you have an inability to do that, it can easily get in the way of serving with humility. I'll be honest, I'm kind of a perfectionist, okay? And so when I make a mistake, especially a mistake public, it's something that I hate. And owning my mistakes isn't always easy, but I've learned that as a leader, it's always necessary. And more often than I like, sometimes I realize that I say things or do things that don't come across or make sense like I hoped that they would. Sometimes I'll finish talking about communion or offering and I'll walk off stage and I'm thinking, man, that sounded a lot better in my head than it came out of my mouth. (laughs) Sometimes something in a sermon won't come out with the words that I intended. Sometimes the words are true, but the tone wasn't good and it comes across as condescending or arrogant and the quality of the message gets lost in the mess of the messenger. Well, just last Sunday during this service announcement time, I, um, I misspoke about the upcoming women's conference. I said it was free. It's 10 bucks. It's almost free, right? And I will say, if a woman wants to go and can't afford the $10, I will cover that cost, right? Listen, can I share a leadership truth with you? And that is all of your church leaders make mistakes, okay? All your church leaders make mistakes. Can I share another leadership truth? All of the church leaders don't agree with everybody all the time. We don't agree with each other all the time. One more leadership truth. You're not going to agree with your church leadership all the time. Shocking, right? Bet you guys didn't know that. But see, here's the deal. We're all in this together. We're striving for a common goal. And in the spirit of humility, we leaders choose to lead together. And as we do, we leaders recognize that God is using imperfect men and imperfect women to lead this church. And we're going to mess up. And we're going to misspeak. We're going to be misunderstood. 
And in humility, we need to recognize that God is using all of us, you all included, imperfect men and imperfect women to take the good news of Jesus to a world in desperate need of him. And the exact same was true when Peter wrote. Yet he encourages the flock, especially the younger ones, to accept the authority of the leaders. But this wasn't a power struggle. This wasn't a power play. In fact, in verse 5, Peter clearly addresses all of us. I'm going to read it again in case you missed it. He says, All of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, this verse is for young and it's for old. It's for the new believer as well as one who's been following Jesus for a long time. It doesn't distinguish between men and women, slave or free, pastor or king. You see, Peter recognizes that if the world is to see Jesus in us, if the world is to see Jesus in the body of Christ, it will happen because of the humility that is displayed by all of us. Peter recognizes that we all lead by our actions. And by our actions and our attitude, you and I have the opportunity to lead our bosses, to lead our friends, to lead our spouses, to lead those who are under us, and to lead those who are over us, to lead those who are younger, and to lead those who are older. Peter says that if we follow after Jesus, that we must dress ourselves in humility. My concern is that far too often we kind of treat humility like it's, our, it's a badge or, or a business card. We pull it out and we use it at those moments when we think it will benefit us the most or it will impress another person. But friends, true humility isn't about me. It's always about the other person. It's always about looking out for them considering them better, loving them, serving them, praying for them, building them up. True humility isn't looking down on ourselves, right? It's not about tearing ourselves down. It's not about taking a dim view toward the us that God created, right? True humility is not about degrading ourselves or punishing ourselves or, you know, spitting on ourselves, right? That's not humility, Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's about thinking of ourselves less. And you and I, all of us created in the very image of God. We remember humility is not thinking less of God's creation. It's thinking more about God the creator. See, friends, you and I, we were not called. We were not equipped We were not designed to be the center of the universe or the center of the world. Shoot, we're not even the center of our own households, right? It's not about me. Humility says, I choose to give up my rights. I choose to give up my preferences, my preconceived understandings or notions or prejudices. And instead, I look out for the interests of other people, even if it costs me something, even if I'm persecuted for it. So Peter said, put on humility. He said, put it on like a garment. He said, but not just any garment. He says, put it on. The word for putting on humility, that's the same idea of putting on the servant's apron, the apron of a slave. 
The work apron that sets them apart as like the lowest of the class of people, right? It's the one that says they are the lowest in the pecking order. He says, wrap humility around you, Peter says. Take on the form of a servant. Tie it tightly. Take on the nature of a slave. And it won't take very long for us to figure out this garment of humility. It isn't for worldly recognition. It isn't for the red carpet. It isn't for the selfie. This garment is for the serving. This garment looks like Christ. And when we clothe ourselves in Christ, we take on his nature. And when we take on his nature, we take on his humility. And when we take on his humility, our following looks different. And when we take on his humility, our loving looks different. And when we take on his humility, our leading looks different. And if the world is to see the humility of Christ, it has to be because the world sees the humility of his church and the people in it. Let's pray. For five chapters... I know Peter didn't write them in chapters, but for five chapters, we've got to see the writings of Peter where he's called us to live in a hope, where he's called us to love deeply, where he's called us to submit, where he's called us to embrace persecution, where he's called us to live in grace. Jesus, help us to do that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.